Hi, hello there everyone. Assalamualaikum. Welcome back to the Social Business Podcast powered by the School of Business and Social Sciences from Al-Bukhari International University. You are now listening to me, Dr. Nawal, and you will be hearing exciting information about social entrepreneurship that involves business with social impact. As for this episode, I have managed to contact the famous social enterprise called The Batik Boutique to have an interview with me to talk about their amazing success journey. Before we listen to the interview, let's hear a little bit about The Batik Boutique. The Batik Boutique is an award-winning social enterprise that was created to disrupt the cycle of poverty in Malaysia. They empower artisans from marginalized communities to produce fair fashion, home goods and accessories made from a traditional Malaysian fabric called batik. They work with rural and urban batik artisans across Malaysia to create batik textiles on natural fibers. This fabric is then sent to the seamstresses at their training center to create products in the desired designs. Through this model, they are able to alter the circumstances of marginalized communities by providing employment opportunities, sustainable incomes and skills to achieve financial independence. Well, if you want to know more about the Batik Boutique, we have the founder and CEO of the Batik Boutique, Mrs. Amy Blair, here with us on the line today. So, without further ado, let's jump into the interview session right now. Okay, so hi, good morning. How are you there? Good morning, hi. <laughs> hi, so uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I got my coffee ready to go for the day, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I believe you are American, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is uh, my first time uh, interviewing, um, interviewing an American, actually. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'll, I'll try to be nice. I'll try to be nice for you. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you're nice. <laughs> so, okay. I guess I'm just uh, going to start with the first question, okay? Sure. So, um, can you please tell me about the history of the Batik Boutique? I mean, like how it, it was formed, basically how, uh, what is it all about? Yeah. So, I moved uh, to Malaysia from the U.S. in 2007. So, I've been here like 14 years now. But um, and my background was actually tourism and um, hospitality. So I worked in restaurants and hotels and I did consulting for them. So one of the things I noticed living here, I was living in Penang at the time actually, um, was I noticed how beautiful Malaysia was, how amazing the people were, how I loved the culture. Um, and I thought that one thing was lacking, it was that Malaysia needed a better like produced gift or souvenir that was authentically something from Malaysia because I just, I really like fell in love with the country and I wanted people to be able to take a piece of Malaysia back with them whenever they went back, you know, to their country, whenever they were visiting here. Um, so that was kind of this thing kind of brewing in my head. And then uh, my husband and I started a family. So I took a few years off um, to stay at home with the kids. And at that point, we moved to Kuala Lumpur. And it, during that season of life, um, I met these women who lived in the PPR flats, which is basically the low-cost government-subsidized housing areas here. And long story short is that they were these moms who had children and needed to earn income for their families, but they couldn't work the traditional job like a factory or a 99-cent speed mart kind of thing. So they needed to earn money, but in, in a um, in a way that was working with their life phase of being moms. And so I understood that now as a new mother. So 
we began being friends and they started teaching me Bahasa and like I started learning a bit of language and understanding more of their stories. And that's when I realized a few of them had sewing machines. And so I kind of thought, hey, is this a way I could merge what I knew from tourism mixed with the skill set that they had to sew? Could we just like make some gifts and souvenirs? At the time, I wasn't thinking in terms of business. I was thinking like a one-off or something to just help them out a bit. Maybe I could take some things back to my friends and family for the holidays. So that's kind of like the story of how we got started. It was a little bit accidental and a little bit um, just things kind of brewing with like, how can um, can I help people, you know, this group of women? Um, and so obviously we can talk more about how it's evolved and, and, you know, grown through that. But those are kind of the beginnings of our early days there. Okay, so you came here um, uh, to study or to work or to work, yeah, to work. work. Uh, uh, where were you working before this? So I worked. Um, there was a U.S.-based company that sent me here to do research. Oh. Um, so I was working for them as a. It was based in tourism and uh, customer service training. So your husband as well? Yeah. So he is an engineer and came here to work on his master's um, mm -hmm. for a while while I was working. So then which the university? Idea, he actually went to USM in Penang. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Well, I, was, I was a, a USM uh, graduate actually. That's cool. Yeah, no, he loved it. I mean, we loved living there and he loved the school and, um, had a really good experience, uh, because a lot of the people in the master's program are like working already, you know, so it was the evening program. And I think it really helped him understand like how to do business in this part of the world because the, you know, he was working with people who were actually already like you know, working and stuff. So he learned a lot from that program. Um, mm. But the, I, the idea was not that we would stay. I mean, the idea was I'll come work a couple years, he does his master's and like we go back or, or go somewhere else wherever we got jobs. I mean, that was kind of the original idea. But then, you know, long story short, here we are. <laughs> We're still here. We're still here. <laughs> so you're planning to settle down here? Yeah, I mean, I've lived here 14 years. I'd say I'm pretty yeah. settled down. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, it started with just, you know, working here and it suddenly mm -hmm. just fell out of the country and actually want to do good for the country. And I, I really appreciate that, though. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, yes. my, my wiring is a bit, um, some of this is cultural probably as an American, but some of it is also just, you know, how you're raised, right? So my family, um, the way I was raised was very much a, uh, I'm a problem solver and I'm like quite analytical and I'm, uh, yeah, I was just kind of raised thinking about like how to leave a mark, like how to, you know, leave any place you go, try to leave it better than when you, you know, arrived. Like even my parents as a kid, they would tell me if you go to someone's house to play, like you leave it cleaner than when you got there. You know what I mean? It was just stuff like that. So I, I think that's sort of ingrained in me. Um, so it was kind of a natural, I'm, I'm sort of aware, I think a lot of times looking around me to say like what's happening around me and is there something that I can be a part of? Um, mm -hmm. to be helpful or not. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. Okay. So, I mean, uh, uh, why do you choose uh, batik, you know, because you are, seem interested in mm -hmm. uh, exclusively on the batik, you know? Yeah. Uh, wh where does this come from? I mean, the idea, I mean, why why batik, you know, instead of... Well, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> instead of songket or weaving yeah. or whatever, yeah. Um, that's a funny question because... Um, so really, I was just looking for something that was Malaysian, like authentically Malaysian. So I knew that, you know, my option, what my options were like pewter, you know, songket, batik. Um, and really, it was the women that I was working with at the time that were from the flats. Like, I kind of had to rely on them because when you're not from here, I wasn't, you know, I, I had observations, right? But I, I knew it was coming as an outsider. So 
they're actually the ones in the long run who, who named Espati Boutique and they're the ones who um, kind of got us started. But the funny thing is I've learned so much about Batik and appreciate it so much more, obviously, because, and I've realized, unfortunately, like even many Malaysians don't know the difference between like what's authentic Batik and what's just a, mo you know, a, a print and what is mm -hmm. like a Malaysian versus Indonesian. And, you know, like, and so um, I've just, I guess for about 10 years or so been on this journey where um, I've met artisans, I've been in villages, I've, you know, we work with partnerships with family businesses that, that are in third generation batik artists. And so I think once, so at the beginning, I'll say, I didn't really know a lot about it. I knew it was this colorful fabric from this part of the world. I mean, that's really all I knew. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've went on such a journey and like literally know the people, the process, like everything behind it. And if you really understand and know, like the process of batik and like what goes into it, I, I kind of like, don't know how you couldn't love it um and really appreciate it right like everybody has opinions on colors and chorak and prints you know all of that that's fine but if you really truly understand like the process it's it's just it's amazing um so i think along the way i've really grown to appreciate the process of it and it's something that is uh i think very uh important for this part of the world to continue on in and so i've kind of while i might have started to help these women, you know, living in the flats with their kids because I was a mom, you know, at the same time, I think our bigger story is actually in, and our bigger impact, quite frankly, is actually in the, the batik industry um, because mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. And I think, I think it has a place, not just in Malaysia, but I think it has a place globally. And so that's really, now that I've run the business side of it, what we're trying to do is really highlight Malaysian batik internationally. Yeah, because I think that the making of it is really unique, right? Oh, it's so I phenomenal, mean, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it on TV, but I, I don't. I've never actually, you know, do the artwork. You know, like the, where they use like the this thing. Yeah, the chanting. That, the yeah, 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 and then that they put it like a wax in it, right? Mm -hmm. Something like yep. that. I think it's really unique. So I, I, I hope to be able to try it. But then, well, you know, you do know it's, it's funny you say that because even <laughs> now, one one kind of side thing we started a couple of years ago, I, I realized like, okay, I'm sitting here talking to a Malaysian, a doctor, you know, <laughs> and like, I'm like educating you on Malaysian batik and it's, this is, this is normal. Like, this is not something like you saying that is like something that people say a lot to me, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I kind of find it a little funny, right? Because I'm like, wait, why am I the like outsider, the foreigner here, like telling <laughs> Malaysians about batik? But I do think sometimes we, we, when you're from the outside of something, you see it differently, right? Like if something's yeah. everyday normal to you, you don't, I mean, same for me, like in the US, you might come there and appreciate something that I just think is like normal, right? So um, it, it kind of just goes that way. But we realized that so many Malaysians even like don't even know the, the like, the story of what it is to make it. So we started offering workshops and um, right now they're virtual, obviously, because we're doing, you know, with MCOs and, and SOPs and all this, but um, we actually teach people like basic batik. And then um, I, I find like, it's so, it's just, it's just like cool to watch it because everybody's eyes sort of light up and they realize, oh, this is actually like really hard to do and really complicated. So um, maybe someday when it's all over, you can come to one of our workshops. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Because, you know, as you said, yeah, really, we, we see it every day because even I wear it at home, you know, mm. and my mother is wearing it at home and everyone in my family usually are women, of course, mm. they will wear it at home. So uh, we see it every day, but we don't really, you know, like sometimes 
really uh, talk, I mean, think through that about mm. how making of it and everything, right? So uh, I think we really need to find out more and actually have uh, more knowledge on it, <laughs> which is a, always a good idea, of course, to really understand our own culture, right? Yeah, and I think it's also like, it's like wearing art, you know what I mean? Like if, if you yeah. if I'm talking about just a sarong maybe that got printed by machine, that's not, but I mean, if you wear like a real like piece of batik, even if it's like just as a sarong or if it's, you know, we do other things with it now, like make homewares or just different type products, right? Like um, it's just really, ama it's very unique. I think Malaysians don't fully understand how unique this art form is because the world is moving in terms of like uh, in retail and in terms of manufacturing, you know, moving to ideas about sustainability and of uniqueness and, you know, one of a kind and all of this, right? So, yeah. Um, the world, I mean, outside of Malaysia actually really appreciates what what this is. And so I think it, it's going to be really fascinating when more and more Malaysians actually understand that themselves. Because, yeah, I mean, where else in the world can you wear, like, something that was hand-painted? I mean, any other place in the world that would cost triple, quadruple, probably the amount you paid for it, you know, just because it's actually painted by people, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... It's a unique piece of artwork, actually, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, um, what is your key driving force to become a social entrepreneur? Yeah, so, you know, I, when I sort of started all this, it was kind of like a charity. Like, you know, I didn't even know at the time, like, how to set pricing, you know, and how to, mm -hmm. like, how to know if anybody made profit. And I wasn't that concerned with it. I was really just trying to set up something that would um, help people and kind of continue the heritage of batik going. So it was actually my husband who got his MBA um, and came to me and challenged me and said, Amy, this is great, like what you're trying to do, it's noble, but like you've got to like put some, you know, some plans behind it. Like the, and he just challenged me to think through bigger picture, what did I really want to accomplish? Like, so I kind of came down to a couple things. I wanted to um, empower communities to have livelihood and I wanted to expand Malaysian Batik globally. So when you have these things as like your mission in front of you, you know, you work it backwards, right? You say, okay, well, how am I going to do that? And in what amount of time and what does this look like? And so that's where it made, it just made sense at that moment to, that the term social enterprise was just at this time was like just becoming a term that people use in Malaysia in particular. Um, and so MAGIC from the government was pretty supportive um, of helping this idea to really develop here and help people catch on to it. So we got involved with them. And actually, you know, there was things I was doing that maybe just instinct instinctively were like a social enterprise, but I didn't have terminology behind it, you know. You, you'll, hate, you'll hate this as an educator because I was sort of winging it and sort of like, you know. But then I learned via MAGIC and kind of my journey with them that there were certain like principles and best practices and, you know, other companies I could look to maybe outside of Malaysia. So that's when I got really into like, you know, okay, we are a social enterprise and we do this being an inclusive business. And, you know, so that, that actually that relationship and all has been very helpful to me um, as we've kind of developed our brand and purposes and like the backbone of what we do.
Yeah. So, you know, Malaysia is a developing country. Mm. So uh, social entrepreneurship is quite new here. So mm. we are, you know, developing this idea of being uh, social entrepreneurs for having business with an impact, you know, with mm. a social impact. Yeah. So I think I think uh, uh, even our university, Al-Bukhari International University, we our niche area is actually uh, social business. Mm. So we are focusing a lot on social business because I think it's trending right now. Mm-hmm. And because of our situation right now, because we are uh, in a pandemic and, mm-hmm. you know, people are losing jobs and people are, yeah. are having trouble with financially, you know. So yeah. having business with a social impact would really help people nowadays. So I think mm-hmm. that's why we are really focusing and trying to develop the idea of social entrepreneurship. So what you're doing right now is actually trending. So yeah. well <laughs> yeah. good. That's why you can really go, uh, you can really do well in this business, right? Well, I think it's also just timing, you know, it's what you're saying, right? Like, it's just between developing nation and pandemic and all these things kind of outside of us, right? We're starting to, I think people in general are starting to ask questions like, you know, number one is, yeah, how do I survive and how do I do it for the long haul, you know, and how do I keep something going? But also like, yeah, I think we're just asking deeper questions now, you know, maybe with some of this pandemic of, well, why do I do this and why do I do that? And so our purchasing and our, you know, it becomes part of that question, you know, so, and also just being online now, you know, people just have more time. So we're getting, I think just in general, we're getting more educated in terms of what is out there, what is to be expected. So there's a level of, I feel like as a brand that we're trying to drive and educate the market here on these concepts of like doing good and doing business that they're not exclusive. You can do both at the same time. Right. But there's yeah. also a responsibility of consumers to start demanding this. And you'll see this. We're not there yet here, but you'll see this out in a in a developed nation. Like if you're talking UK, US, Australia, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're 10 years ahead of us in these things. So you'll see that it the same principles of like ship all of your Lazada and Shopee purchases in the most amount of plastic you can find, for example, that doesn't work there anymore, you know, because Mm -hmm. consumers will demand, how do you do this? How do you pay people? How do you do your, you know, eco, like your waste and that kind of stuff. So I think we will get there as well, but um, we're just, you know, we're just still developing, as you said, in the process of it. Um, but these questions that we're asking and all, and, and what you guys are doing as university is extremely important, I think, for the younger generation, because, I mean, just the environmental side, even alone, you know, we're, we're, we really have to start thinking through that a bit more. So um, I think it's great that you're doing that, that you have a focus. Yeah, because it's now it's not all about just profit making, trying to right. be rich and everything, right? So we really, really need to put our focus on the society. So in the university, actually in Al Bukhari exclusively, of course, we are really po- focusing on social business so that people uh, would have uh, uh, the passion to do uh, business with a social impact. And we also have like the three zeros um, club. You know, we call it Social Business Design Lab where we have uh, three clusters, which are zero poverty, zero mm-hmm. unemployment, and also mm-hmm. zero uh, carbon and zero net carbon emissions. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so uh, we, we are, you know, encouraging and also influencing uh, and uh, motivate, motivating our students to actually practice all these good qualities, you know. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's interesting, though. I think that um, the the challenge that we find in something like this, even even as a practitioner here, like in working with other 
social entrepreneurs and things, you know, I've been part of the industry for years now. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that it's, it's interesting, you either get traditionally, you either get someone who wants to help and do good. And so they kind of get into this, um, but they're not so trained or even focused on like the business side and understanding that actually the profit does matter, you know, like it's people, mm -hmm. planet and profit. You need all of those piece. Um, and, you know, you can tend to get one sided and it ends up being a bit more like an NGO or just a nonprofit yeah. kind of thing. The other side is generally in business, you, the people who study business and all get ten, business is business, right? It's numbers. Um, so you tend to have people who might have the skills to the, you know, learn the skills to run business and the accounting, finance, marketing, these kind of things that are very much needed, but they've not been opened up to like, and you can do it for good. So I think the challenge is, is um, having both, right? Because I find you tend to be one-sided, either someone who's into business and numbers or they're into helping and doing good. And like individually, both of those in and of themselves cannot run a successful enterprise because there's two words to this. There's social and then there's enterprise. And those are, you know what I mean? Those are, there's, they're both uniquely different and super important. So finding ways to merge the two together is really important. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like, Hello? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so sorry. I, there, there was a call just now. <laughs> oh. So I'm sorry so, about that. Mm -hmm. Well, so I would say for me, like I start because my intention was not originally, yeah, I thought someone could do something better in tourism industry for gifts. Yeah, I thought that, but that alone was not my motivation to start this business. Right. And I yeah. would have never done anything about it had I not met these women. I would have had the idea that, oh yeah, somebody should start a business like that, but I would not have done it, you know? So mm -hmm. my motivation was very much more about empowering these women and batik artists and communities. So, but I've had to, but because I came more from that angle, I've had to learn like so many business skills along the way and like upskill myself, right? So sometimes I've taken a course online or I've gotten a coach for something or I've had to outsource something that I don't have the skill sets for, you know? Now, as we're bigger, I can hire people for that. But I think what's important that people understand is you can't be like one-sided either way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you want to do good, you still need this business skills. You know, you still need to know about accounting and finance and <laughs> that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, to do things the proper way, right? <laughs> well, and yeah, to make it sustainable in the long run. Yeah, to make it sustainable, yes, of course. So even even our students, we uh, encourage them to actually be with the people, you know, because mm -hmm. and we have our, the area of Bali and C in Kedah mm -hmm. that we focus on to help, you know, so the students actually uh, com connect with those people to actually have the idea of helping uh, their businesses. So that's how, a kind of a way that we try mm. to instill passion within them, you know, and we, we have great results. I mean, they are passionate about it and they feel like they want to help and as well as helping themselves, you know, in terms mm. of uh, trying to create a career that will include business with a social impact. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so what you're doing is actually true, like your husband said, that it's very noble, you know. <laughs> you're helping people as well as, you know, uh, doing a good business. Yeah, okay. it's important. It was, I have mm -hmm. to say that's an important point that you say about, like, being with the people. I, I appreciate that you're saying that because um, I think any – obviously, I'm considered an outsider. I'm not from Malaysia, so that's obvious that I'm, like, not – of that community, right? Like it's super obvious when I show up that I'm not, you know, yeah. not one of you. But I think probably if you Malaysians, have blonde, probably if you have blonde hair, then it would be. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, even as Malaysians, like understanding that if you're not from the community that you're helping, like like in the PPR flats, if you're not from that PPR flat, even as a Malaysian, you're still a layer of an outsider, right? Mm-hmm. So it is super important when you're trying to uh, empower a community or have beneficiaries, you know, super important that you engage at the ground level. And like one of the things we do in our company, even to this day, is we don't make decisions for like the seamstresses or the batik artists apart from like consulting them and apart from trying to get their solutions and understanding like what they want done and how they want to do it because we realized that there needs to be an ownership coming from within because I can come in and say, yeah, if you just did this, this, and this, everything will be okay. But if that's not where they are as a community and that's not how they want it to be and how they want it to go, then actually it's not helpful to them. So I really appreciate that you're sending people out on the ground. That's an extremely important point to understand, like to really understand the people that you're trying to help is, is really important. Yeah, to really connect with them, right? and they mm-hmm. and they would feel uh, more comfortable to connect with you. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good move. So uh, I'm sure you're very passionate about uh, what you're doing right now. So was it more of an advocacy or career path? Uh, <laughs> or maybe well, now both? Now it's a career path, yeah. I mm-hmm. think it started out as advocacy. Like that's what I was saying. I, I never really, I didn't even mean to like start a business. At first, I didn't even like register. It was literally like, you know, I mean, it was just like charity and helping people out and stuff. So, um, but it's turned into a career path because I told you as my mission is to uh, expand Malaysian Batik globally, like that's not, no one's done it yet. I mean, no one's, no one's on the international level for Batik in Malaysia, like consistently. I don't Mm -hmm. mean they went to one trade show and sold something to a celebrity. I mean, like, you know, and then last year alone, we shipped, uh, we shipped e-commerce orders to over 40 countries. From here, mm-hmm. so I mean, I'm pretty sure we're one of the only Malaysian batik brands shipping orders on the internet out to 40 different countries of people. Yeah, products. So that's amazing. Yeah, but that doesn't happen if you don't choose it as a career path. You get what I mean? Like, yeah, I've put in years and work and planning and pivoting and changing and all this to get to that point. So um, I think somewhere along the way, if, if I really wanted to put Malaysia on the map for batik globally then I had to make it a career path you know this is not stuff that you just it's nice to say oh yeah I want to do that but people don't understand I mean especially in this instant world we live in right like people don't understand the years and the pain and the investment and the failure and everything that comes with what you see as a success does that make sense so it has to eventually while I started more as advocacy it has to eventually become a career path if you really want to you know have an impact yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you make it as a career, and of course, it started with advocacy. Of course, there are uh, some sense of advocacy in it, right? Mm-hmm. For you to actually make it a career path. Yeah. So um, how about your customer base? I mean, how do you build a successful customer base? It started with just Malaysians. And then how did you venture internationally? Well, originally, I was not even planning to do like retail. So we were very much a B2B business, which is business to business. Mm-hmm. And we were doing like corporate gifting. And uh, because I thought usually when a corporate would order, they would order 100 pieces or even up to 1000 pieces. So I thought in the long run, that brought more sustainability to the artisans when we had larger orders. Um, and we also had less overhead because we didn't have rentals for boutiques, you know, this kind of stuff. So but along the way, Um, We also realized that growing our brand was important 
as well. So we shifted a bit to a, we have like a two pronged approach where we do, we still do the corporates and the B2B side of it. Um, and, but we also do B2C now. So we've got three boutiques here in Malaysia and then we do e-commerce. And obviously this past year, the boutiques have been closed most of the time. You know, we've had little bits where they're allowed to be open, but I mean, they're open now, but you know, the past year and a half, it's been open, close, open, close, close, close. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> um, so we had to pit, but I have lots of overhead. I've got a sewing center, an office and three boutiques, you know, plus my staff now. So I'm not at a place where you can just kind of close the doors and close your eyes and hope it's all over soon. Um, so about a year and a half ago, when COVID first broke out, we had to, we pushed forward. We, we had a website and we're, we were online, but we weren't really like running ads and we weren't, you know, coming up with campaigns and everything. It was just like random. So um, I hired a digital marketing agency. I hired more people internally to help me grow this side. So the past year and a half, we've probably focused a lot more on this B2B market side with um, e-commerce. Um, and that's where we've seen um, that's what I was telling you. We've got a customer base in 40 different countries who've ordered products from us. So, I mean, we've, we've sent to Saudi Arabia, to Switzerland, to, I mean, the most random, you know, places, obviously like US, UK, Australia, those kind of places. But Singapore is our second biggest market after Malaysia right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it becomes a, now what we do is look at, we have a whole strategy for scaling our e-commerce globally. So, Right now, it's still mostly Malaysian purchase, people in Malaysia purchasing e-commerce, but um, we're pushing into Singapore now with press releases and influencers and running ads and just, you know, trying to penetrate that market a bit more. And then we'll um, go to the U.S. side after that, which is a huge market. But people also don't understand, like, it costs money, you know, to, yeah, of to expand your e-commerce. So that for me, I mean, while some people now would start that for first, like that would be the first thing they would start out in a business. For me, I needed to make sure the production was strong. I needed to make sure our kind of ethos were strong. I needed to like grow a team. I needed to, you know, I needed to make money so that I could use it for the e-commerce. So we've, we've grown very like organically and probably slower um, than some businesses would want to. But some of that's also because our product is artisan made and there's just so many people involved. It's not like I just order it from China and it shows up at my door and I can sell it, you know? So it's quite complicated what we do um, Mm. because there's just a lot of steps to it. To actually preserve the originality, right? Yeah. To keep Mm -hmm. it authentic and to make enough that can sell and to be consistent. I mean, you know, we want good quality. So that's something because of my background in service um, industry, (laughs) my staff is always laughing at me because like I listen to every customer feedback we get, like about everything. And um, I'm extremely, the part of training that I do for like new staff is always the one related to like customer service. And um, they just, they just know that like from, but, but I think when you do something that's handmade and you do something that is already kind of biasa to mindset here, like batik is like, people don't think so great of it as Malaysians, if that makes sense. So you have to be better somewhere else. So this is where, like, for me, like, the quality of our product is, like, extremely important. So if something's got a broken zipper, it's not getting sold. You know, if something's got stains on it from the batik, we don't sell it. You know, I mean, there's just stuff like that. Um, quality, right? Yeah. Mm. The lining has to be certain material and, you know, certain color coordination and stuff. But also how we ship it, how we answer the phone, how we reply to emails, like, how we entertain a customer when they walk in. So I think one thing we've done really well, especially this past year, is the feedback we get because we have this review app even coming in so I can read things. But the feedback we get on our service and our quality is like 
it's like makes me super proud because I think that's something in Malaysia that still needs to improve in general mm-hmm. um, is service and, you know, speed and quality and things like that to be an international brand. Does that make sense? Like not to just be a Malaysian brand, but to be an international brand, you yeah. have to improve this stuff. And so I feel like that's one area that my team's done like really good at. Is that yeah. Side, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those things we uh, we don't really see it in a, in a more detailed way. So actually, the little all the little things actually matter, you know, because uh, it shows how professional you are, uh, how yeah. you run your business. I mean, how you treat your customers. Yeah. How how uh, disciplined are you in terms of uh, handling everything? Right. So I think uh, it, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Our students uh, in Malaysia, of course. We need to have that kind of uh, attitude, that kind of uh, uh, being uh, critical and being detailed, actually, in a constructive way, of course. Yeah, so, and I'll tell you um, one thing that's funny that happens, and, and I've seen this over the years, and I mean, it's just human nature. It's not Malaysia. It's not it's everywhere, right? But yeah, as soon as anyone knows, like you run any business out there and no one questions anything about it, okay? If you just say, mm-hmm. I'm setting up this business, I'm selling nasi lemak, you know, it's all about how good is my sambal and whatever, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and how fast I can sell it and do my logistics and send all the deliveries out and all of that, right? So, okay, you can make a quick business plan on that and go for it. But if you if you did that same business, I'm selling Nasi Lamak and I'm going to give one ringgit to, to, you know, this community behind me that, you know, helped me make Nasi Lamak or whatever for every packet sold, you will be shocked with how much people now will come and like care and criticize and question you and all of this. And I find it so fascinating, like, we don't question anyone who's just doing business, but anytime someone puts out there that they're doing it for a cause or doing it for good, lots of questions come up. So yeah. even like small thing, even this morning before this call, I literally was talking to our uh, man, our retail manager because she was overseeing packaging and we mm-hmm. have like, we have tons of e-commerce orders every day now. So even that we've been, you know, we're trying to find ways to be like more eco conscious because actually our customers care. Like one day someone complained about you sent me this in plastic. And I was just laughing because the same day I got an order from like Lazada or something, and it was like a small something, but it was wrapped in, I think it was mascara, but it came mm-hmm. in so much packaging to get my little thing of mascara, you know, that I was like so frustrated. And here we are, we had like one piece of plastic and something to hold the dyes or whatever. And I was just like, wow, just so different how the expectation changes. So but but you have to know that. I think my point is to say, if you guys want to start things, you have to know you will be scrutinized. Your methods will be, your packaging will be more so than a normal brand because you've labeled it as doing good, right? Yeah. So even this morning, I was having a conversation. We're trying to get new boxes or something. And we were like, just make sure we print on them. Please recycle me or something. You know, like we're just <laughs> laughing. That like, but even trying to figure out how to have less plastic. Like that's just conversations I have to have now because... Uh, yeah, if not, then people, you know, people will care. And, and yeah, so I think that's just important to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. If you want to do good, you're opening yourself up to, a, yeah. to a being scrutinized a bit. Yeah, of course, because, you know, when, when say you want to do good, people look at every angle that yeah. of the things that you do because uh, they really want to see your real intentions, you know, whether yeah. you really, really do it for good or whatever, right? So, but then I'm... Uh, I'm I'm happy to know that you actually uh, care about what your customers think, you know, like some some businesses, they don't really care with uh, what the customers think. They just think about profits, right? 
So I well, think I it's, mean, it's if good. If you don't have the customers, then you don't have a business. So that's yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So do you do any collaborations with other organizations in, for your business? Oh, yeah, I love collaborating. I think especially, like, in theory, I always liked collaborating. But mm -hmm. at, when you run a business and you're trying to grow your own thing, it's very easy to believe certain principles, but then not actually do them because you're so doing, you know, you're just busy with your own stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I think really what one good thing that's come out of like COVID for us is then I feel this like, okay, now's the time to collaborate because we all moved from having like every outlet was closed, right? So we had no way, you couldn't just stop by the store or I couldn't just run my own brand so strong because all we had for this past year is really whatever you see on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, our website, right? So, and people, if you'll notice, um, when lockdowns first started happening, influencers and people, people who worked in media, people who, you know, used to get paid to show up at events, I mean, all that kind of stuff, their jobs also didn't exist, right? There was no event to show up for. There was no magazine. I mean, magazines went out of business, you know, there was no, all of that stuff that people normally got paid for. So even celebrities and even like influencers had to do everything online. And then, mm -hmm. you know, IG stories came out and now we have reels and then we have IGTV, like all this has been developed very fast. So I think that that push made us also go, okay, so if we can't do it ourselves now because the boutiques are closed and all, how do, how do we extend our voice, but also on a limited budget because we're not, you know, coming as Nestle or these big brands, you know, with like mm -hmm. massive marketing budget. And that's when we realized collaboration was like key. So I believed in it in theory and had done some, but what we started doing was we found other businesses that we wanted to partner with who also maybe had a bit of a voice online and we did something together. So we've done things from, um, we worked with Pitcha Eats, which is one thing with cook food. We did a weekend set where you got their brownies and um, we worked with Sephora. You know, Hello? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you were breaking up. So you work with Sephora, and it? Uh, we worked with Sephora. We worked with like Pitcha Eats. Uh, for Merdeka just now, we worked with Project Fifty Seven, which is a yeah. Actually, I've interviewed. I've interviewed uh, Project Fifty Seven, yeah. and actually, I will be uh, interviewing Pitcha Eats uh, tomorrow. Okay, cool. So we've worked with all of them, and so we. So what I found is we worked with businesses like us who are doing social causes. We've also worked with businesses bigger than us. This is important. You can't do this in the beginning. You have to have your own voice. But once we have a decent following and like we're known, now I can go to like, you know, the Sephora's and the, the other brands that are bigger than us and say, hey, let's do something. So, yeah, I think collaborating is the way forward. It supports one another. It builds community. And it also, you know, just is brand awareness. Right. So I, yeah. to me, collaboration is like massively important. Okay, so um, how, what about how do you market your business uh, and which tactics have been most successful? Is it the social media? Yeah, so it changes, depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So I'd say for B2B, so just selling a product or a service, if someone wants to just, you know, to a customer, obviously um, you, yeah, I mean, social media is, is huge. Uh, we work with influencers, but not just the big, like, I think when you say influencers, everyone thinks of Viva Yusuf and Nilofa and, you know, like all these, Yeah, <laughs> that's the ones you go to, but you know, you and everybody else, good luck ever reaching them, you know? So, um, I think we've worked with just everyday people. We've worked with micro influencers, people with just a couple thousand followers, but maybe the engagement's really high. Um, so we do a lot of research. We also try to work with people who, you know, there's something that we 
connect with, like, uh, they're into something. So we've worked with some chefs lately, like on Instagram and stuff, because we've been doing our homewares or um, healthy living with the yoga instructor. I mean, that kind of stuff who have some kind of, like, purpose to what they're trying to do also. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, definitely you need a social media strategy. You need um, you need to be spending ads. I mean, the biggest e-commerce growth for us is because we run ads. Um, now, it's not just saying run an ad and they just buy it's a whole process, but we, I mean, now, yeah, I mean, I have a whole like digital marketing, like arm of what we do and it's very, we, we, we use data to make decisions now. So it's very like numbers based and, um, but we needed a good year of that to be able to say what was our cycle and how did it go and how do we improve and who do we connect with and therefore what type product do we design? Like who are we speaking to and what would they want to buy? I mean, so um, yeah, so digital media, I mean, digital marketing and social media are extremely important nowadays, but it's, what's cool because you have these people like, it's like a, you know, a small shop could make it in this pandemic because they got on grab, you know, like there's ways when we can become somewhat digital, you yeah. actually can expand way faster than if you than kind of before where you only had like billboards and, you know, magazines and these expensive ways to, to try to market your business, right? You can go mm-hmm. a lot faster now with social media. Yeah. So I have seen your the advertisement in Instagram uh, yeah. of the Bati Boutique. It's, yeah, it, it really looks very stylish and chic and sleek and it right. looks very, very, very professional looking. And it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. I also, I, I was looking at the mask that you were making and it's just really, really unique. Yeah, we sell thousands of masks, like just, yeah, I think last year we, we lived on a mask, basically. <laughs> yeah, because of the situation, right? But even then we had to put it, but see, people don't understand, like, the amount of research we put in to even develop our mask, because I didn't want to, like, you, we were trying to follow government regulations. I mean, they, these this product needed to actually protect someone. It wasn't just style, right? It's not just yeah, like a yeah. shirt or something. So we put in a ton of research. We even got some of our masks tested um, in, in the UK because for filtration, because like COVID's no joke, you know? So it was like, we didn't want to just be the next, oh, it's this pretty fabric. Like we really put in like lots of thought. We've had, we've, we've had designs, we've tweaked parts of it also based on customer feedback, like too big, too little, too tight, too this, you know, like um, along the way. And now- Form fitting. Yeah, I feel like we've landed at, I mean, we've got over, I think, 100 different masks on our website, like prints that you can buy. Like we just, because we finally have like a, we have a really good design and it's also filtering well. Um, yeah. So it now serves the can, purpose. Right? Yeah. Serves so, the purpose. <laughs> but people don't even understand, like, that's not just like something we just did in one day. You know what I mean? We've put, we put months of research into that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about your the financial sustainability? How do you achieve and maintain financial sustainability? I mean, in general. Yeah, so I've probably done this a bit non-traditional for this part of the world in that um, you see often like somebody here wants to open a restaurant, they rent a shop lot, they spend a lot in their ID, they, they didn't even like do market research per se. They didn't even test maybe their menu out on people or their pricing or that. And they just spend on like things that look pretty. And then you'll see in six months that restaurant will go out of business and the next Mm -hmm. person will come in. So I think my difference is that I didn't think about it in terms of, oh, I need this amount of money to build this, make it pretty, and then I'll figure it out. I actually have done this um, and probably because of the social cause behind it and kind of sustain, I wanted sustainability from the beginning. So it's taken me longer um, to get to where we are than I would have liked because um, I've done it more organically, I would say, meaning um, 
I didn't ever put us in debt for things because I was also teaching, you know, financial literacy to seamstresses about how to not be in debt. So it was like, so it's a bit of practice what you preach thing. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we've always, we've actually, since we found it, since we've registered as a company, which was 2013, um, we've been, we've been profitable every year since then, which is pretty amazing because most companies spend years before they make profit, actual profit as a company. So, but it means my first office, like, was horrible like it basically had wi-fi and we used the old chairs and desk and stuff that were just in there and you know what i mean like there was no it was not pretty um mm-hmm. my the very first people i hired actually worked at my house in my guest room there was three of us you know because mm-hmm. i couldn't even afford an office at the time so i think because my focus has been on giving as much profit back into the community we're trying to help i didn't spend as much on some of the overhead now to date I have a beautiful office we just renovated and moved into this year. Um, it's stunning. It's big. Um, I've opened a third boutique. Like, so you reach a point where, yes, you need to spend now, you know, but in the beginning days, you need to be, I mean, it's this lean concept, right? You need to be as lean as possible. You need mm-hmm. to do as much as, it's called bootstrapping. You do as much as you can on your own. And you don't need to have all the bells and whistles, you know, to look a certain way until you have a proof of concept. Um, when you know that you're, I mean, start, if you're running a restaurant thing, start out on grab first and catering before you ever pay overhead for a restaurant. You get what I'm saying? Like be yeah. really clever with how you try out and how you prove that what you're selling actually has a place in the market and then add on the stuff that costs more. I mean, that's my recommendation, which is a bit kind of opposite. I think how people tend to do stuff here, but, um, but because of that, we've been profitable and even up until you know, this year is the first year. I'm not totally sure how we'll, I think we'll minimally break even. Um, Mm -hmm. But most businesses, my size and status and all right now don't even exist anymore after COVID. Like so many companies have gone out of business and I'm I'm thankful. Like I'm really thankful to God and I'm thankful to our team and everybody that, and our customers that we're still here. Um, You know, so I think there's a lot to be said about being careful with how fast you grow and how much money you put into stuff. Like, Prove that it works first and then invest in it. Mm-hmm. So what is the main change that you have made? I mean, from the pen, uh, from the normal situation in all over the world and now in a pandemic. I mean, what is the one major change that you made that you feel that uh, we should know about? I think, um, I mean, the biggest change for us was pushing e-commerce definitely more okay. than we were. We wanted to do it, but we were kind of like, yeah, later. It was always that later thing for us. And then because we had so many other things and this was like, no, now. And I mean, really now. So we spent a huge. So even though maybe sell wise, we're still only 30 percent e-commerce versus the other stuff we do. But my team is probably 70 percent of my team works on something with marketing and e-commerce, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, and that's just the way forward. I think realizing that's the biggest pivot that we've made. And I also like uh, I run my team is pretty lean and I have really focused on trying to hire people who understand the social cause, but are not afraid to work hard. Um, And so I think mindset and team is important. My team's mindset, we've all gotten really close this past year because we're the only people anybody, we're the only ones we all see. Like, you know, we don't have the same, you know, social circles, right? Because you couldn't get together. So we're like the only people we hang out with um, because we had approval to be open this time. So my team was still coming to the office. Um, So then, you know, we become like family and we all want to see something grow. So I think having this culture, like I always thought having this culture of hard work and doing good was important. And I thought I was working on it, but for me as a, as a leader, 
that's the things I've tried to develop the past year. And then for me as a business, it's been e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can uh, you can say that the culture uh, in uh, your organization is actually close knit and um, really warm with each other. Is more that it? So now, yeah, yeah, more mm-hmm. so now than before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do you think? Uh, uh, what about the biggest challenge uh, of running your business? Is it the pandemic, or is it uh, the nature of the business, or what is it? Uh, uh, the biggest challenge. Uh, I mean. Yeah, and right now it's been the pandemic because I think that's everybody's challenge. But yeah. um, it's <laughs> the biggest blessing in my business is people. It's the people behind what we do. And the biggest challenge of my business is people. And uh, it's both because, again, you know, one bag from our company. So we do life, we do, we do homeware, we do apparel, we do, you know, bags and gifts and that kind of stuff. So we're not just even like apparel and shirts, you know, fashion. We're also, we're, we're a lot, we're a whole lifestyle brand. So, like one bag, for example, for us may actually employ 15 people. So there may be five people who do the batik, you know, two or three people who work on the sewing. And if there's other parts, like if we had to print anything on it or screen print or something. So sometimes one product of ours literally gets made in three locations by 15 people, you know, so all of that has to work together. It's again, it's not like I just, we don't print paper and make the colors match and there it is, you know? So yeah, the manufacturing of our product is very complicated and, um, but it's actually where the story is. It's, it's the beauty of it as well. So that's always been, um, my biggest challenge is, and then in team, I mean, you know, so you've got your artisans, but then you have to grow a team as well. So that includes, you know, admin, graphic designers, warehouse, like, uh, corporate sales. I mean, you know, you have all these people as well. So I think just, yeah, I mean, the people side is the most gratifying, but it's definitely the most challenging because mm-hmm. humans are complicated, right? We're not just we're not just one dimensional. So, and then you throw a pandemic into it, and that's affected everybody differently. So, some days, and I think the thing with my team, we've been focused on is trying to just be um, vulnerable and honest. Which is also vulnerability is not something in Asian culture that comes out quickly, right? So, yeah, but just like trying to be countercultural a bit to say actually guys, like if we need something, we need to tell each other, like, if not us, who's going to know, you know? So one of the things in our staff meetings we do every week now is we say, um, what's something you did to take care of yourself last week? What's something you did to take care of someone else? And do you need anything? Um, and everybody shares that in our Monday morning staff meeting as a team. So it helps us kind of like realize if we need help, actually people do want to help, but also we're not just here for, to be consumed with ourselves. We need to be thinking about others too. So um, that that's just always the challenging part is the people side of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand that actually because I have I know uh, being in an Asian culture, sometimes you keep everything inside. You know, you mm. don't really tell, and then because we are so afraid of what people think, you know, things like that always happen. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But yeah, it but does then, come out eventually, yeah. and it, when it comes out, it's not always the prettiest and doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense because <laughs> it can come out in like crazy ways because it gets held in so long. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. So we've learned, okay, if somebody's acting crazy today, there's probably like some layers behind that and some story, you know, so maybe give that we don't know about. Right. Yeah. And like either give grace, like give the space for it or find out if now's the time they want to talk about it or not, you know, so. And meanwhile, we have to keep selling stuff and making stuff, you know. So. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 still, we we cannot ignore that, right? Because you know right. we are human beings. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, what about the most rewarding experience uh, while running your business? Oh, for me, it's still the people behind it. Like, 
-hmm. we've got one seamstress, Nora, who I've known the longest. Like she was one of the first women I ever met and she still works with us. And so like when I see something good for her family, when her daughters, like her daughters now, a couple of them have started helping part-time in our business because they're, you know, finished with school and stuff now. And like seeing that empowerment, like go to the next generation or when I know a seamstress, you know, was able to send her kids to school now, or um, one of the boutique artists we work with, he was struggling on the East Coast in Kuantan, you know, with the flooding that comes every year. Um, all they really needed was to change out this roof, like this tin roof, but, you know, it cost more than he was ever going to spend on it. So he wouldn't be able to do boutique for like two months because it would leak through his ceiling and, you know, it messes up the fabric and dyes and stuff. And so finally, one day we had enough profit to where I had for like a couple of years, I wanted to help him with it, but we just didn't have it. And one day we had enough profit finally that I called him and was like, hey, Aznan, I want to fix your roof, you know? And Ooh. I mean, it's win-win for me. It means like he can produce boutique for those two months. It helps my business, you know? But at the same time, it's like, this is just something very small, but actually makes a huge difference for him. Um, yeah. So when, when I was able, as a company, we were able to like, pay for that for his facility with no strings attached he was like do you want something back i was like no i just want you to make batik that's all you know like um mm -hmm. and i want you to do it in a place that you know it's it works for you and stuff so he couldn't even believe that someone would do that for him you know and for me it was like i had wanted to do it for years already and couldn't just didn't have the profit for it so um mm -hmm. those kind of things when you see when you see a light come on for someone or you see that they actually have what they need. If you just create opportunity, they have what they need to change their own life. Like it's, you know, when you see some of that happening, it's like worth everything else to me because it's yeah. so like, I just know end of the day, we, we all have to work. This is my theory. We all have to work. I'm not old enough to retire yet. <laughs> we all have to work. Um, you know, I got to do something that makes money. I have three children. I need to provide for my family. You know, it's, this is all normal stuff. We all have to think about. So if I'm going to spend this huge chunk of my life doing work, which I have to, um, then I want to do something that at least some of the time has meaning to it. And, you know, and is uh, something I believe in. So I find that it's like, you can't replace that because we, we all have to work into the day. You know, we all have to. Yes, it's true. It's to, to put meaning on what you do is really, yes. really, it's going to make everything worth it. You know, Be yes. all, all the hard work, all the time spent on it actually will make everything worth it. Right. So that's yes. the, that's, the entire point so um okay um what advice do you want to give to other aspiring social entrepreneurs maybe there are uh, students or the community in general that are listening to this uh, podcast would have the intention to become a social entrepreneur so um what is your advice for them yeah so there's a guy simon sinek um sinek who everybody should look into he writes um you know he does podcasts and things about leadership for millennials and stuff like that but um, one of the things that I learned from him and he has this famous like Ted talk, I think you can look up, but it's about knowing your why. So mm -hmm. I think finding out like, why do you want to do what you want to do? Like really not, not like the pretty answer you're supposed to say, but like really ask yourself why and what is it that you want to be about? And then like, remember that. And then remember that, um, nobody got to where they got to, okay, maybe one person and, you know, 1% does, but let's not think about the 1% because most of us are in the 99 percentile, not the 1%, but nobody yeah. got where they got, whether in whatever is success for them, whether they're an athlete, whether they're a business owner, whatever, right? Nobody mm -hmm. got there without hard work and nobody got there without like long-term, you know, commitment. So I find, especially for a younger generation, like knowing why you want to do something, keeping that in front of you and like not 
and then realizing it's going to require time and, and hard work. Like you just have to accept that. Um, but keeping the why in front of you all the time, because if you know your why, then you're okay to invest your time and your hard work into it. But I think that's the thing for me, like not, sh- it's not going to be easy. Nothing's ever come easy. That was good. Um, mm-hmm. but also asking yourself really like why and understanding that is important, I think. Yeah, I think by asking yourself why is actually making yourself have the passion to do what you do, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think passion is really, really important because uh, if you have passion, then everything will fall into place because you will have good intentions and things will just work out, you know, because out of well, good intentions. Well, you still have to work hard. I mean, this is yeah, the thing. I think some people think it just all happens. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. this doesn't happen. If you knew the amount of hours and time and late nights and things I've sacrificed, my family giving up things with my own children, you know, because Mm -hmm. of this, like, it's, it's not just if you have good intentions, it just happens, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's Mm -hmm. still, I think the thing people need to understand is, it's really hard work. And and actually, Mm -hmm. honestly, I think social entrepreneurship is harder than regular entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You have to still, the word enterprise is still there. You still have to run a business. You just now also have to think about how you're going to do good with it. (laughs) So it's actually, to me, harder. Um, And I think just, it, I don't mean that to scare away. I mean that to actually just like understand that that's just mm. what it is. And it's going to take hard work. Like you just have to be willing to work hard. Mm. That's it. Yeah, it's but not that's- going to come easy. Yeah, but then the end results will actually be very, very satisfying because yeah, you sure. huh, you are able to uh, do good to others and yeah. as well as having a good business. So that's yeah. like a double, uh, double thing to have, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. So um, what? Uh, what do you hope for in the future in terms of the impact that you expect your company will give on the society? Uh, well, for us, because the type uh, social enterprise we are, it's called inclusive business. So that basically means the way the model is, is that as we grow in business, we grow in impact. Like it's just made that way now. I mean, we've done this enough years. So for me at this point in time, it's about scaling the business. So because the rest is is set up already. So as we get more orders, as we ship more products, as we grow on the business side now, obviously our impact side also grows. We also have an internal commitment to, we give away 10% of our profit as well as a company every year on top of the fair wages and other stuff we do just automatically. And I started that in the days before we, 10% 10% didn't mean a lot in the in the early days, you know? So I think realizing that you don't do good only when you have a lot. You do good when you don't have any. Um, you do good, you know, you, you are generous. If you have one ringgit, you, you can be generous with one ringgit. And if you're generous with one ringgit, it's going to be a lot easier to be generous with a thousand ringgit later or a million ringgit later. But if you think that one day I'll do this when I have enough, good luck, you know? So for me, I think we're still we're pushing very much so in these next five years, I would say on the business side, really scaling the business because we've put in the last 10 years worth or whatever of setting up the, the impact and the, you know, the, how we function side. So now it's just literally a matter of executing the, the scaling. So we're, we will scale this brand, you know, globally is what the plan is. So, okay, I guess that's all the questions that I have for you. So, uh, I really feel that what you're doing is noble, as well as I admire your uh, integrity of being, of uh, doing things uh, uh, with hard work, you know, as you said, because hard work is really, really important, you know, not just having the passion, of course. So, but, you know, the, the passion might encourage you to 
to uh, work hard, you know, yeah. uh, so that you can achieve uh, uh, your goals, like what you're doing right now. So like what Batibuti is all about is actually a very successful social enterprise. So uh, I guess that's all the questions I have for you. And thank you very much for doing this uh, interview with me. I really, really appreciate the appreciate it because uh, your company is quite uh, famous and well known, and <laughs> you know. And I appreciate that you actually want to do this interview with me. Hello. Hi. Sorry, cut out just there at the end. I think. Oh, okay. So, no, I just want to say thank you that uh, you uh, are willing to do this interview with me. Oh, I really, yeah. really, well, I mean, yeah. Thank I... you for also, you know, teaching others. I think the important part of what we've got to do now is there needs to be more of this, you know. Um, it's yeah. Always great to ha it's great to have role models and great to see when one company or one person does something. But the reality is we need more of this at every level and in every type business and every type product. So I really hope that, like, students listening and people considering, like, what to do with their lives, that kind of stuff, will give social entrepreneurship a thought because um, I just think as a nation, you know, we, it's the people that are going to make this country great, you know, so we've got yeah. to do our part. So I really hope that even a bit of our story can inspire other people too. Yeah, it's funny you say that, that because um, I've had uh, some companies who rejected this kind of exposure. They say that they're afraid that uh, the community will find out about how they do business. I think that's kind of ridiculous, you know, and it's just surprised me that, you know, some companies uh, are thinking that way. So I, I really think that this kind of podcast, you know, this kind of uh, awareness, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm telling how exactly that you do your business, right? Right. You're just telling sure. me, yeah, the good side of it. I mean, the, the things that people can take as example, you know, for them yeah. to uh, be more successful in their business. So I appreciate that you re that you are doing this with me, the, the interview, of course. Oh, and well, I really, yeah. yeah, and I really, really hope that your company will grow and flourish and just become the best that you can be globally. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So I will also uh, encourage my students to actually uh, have the kind of drive that you have. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much, uh, Amy Blair. Um, uh, I hope you and your family will do well and will always be successful and healthy and happy. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Noel. Okay. Thank you. Thank you All very right, much. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, now we are coming to the end of this episode. I hope the inspiring stories shared in the interview will be useful for the students of Al-Bukhari International University and also the community in general. Don't forget to stay tuned for more interviews with more successful social entrepreneurs and also more exciting information about social business. And while you're here, feel free to check out our previous episodes where we interviewed other social entrepreneurs from different accredited social enterprises. Last but not least, please do share this podcast on your social media platforms so that we can all spread awareness about social entrepreneurship that will benefit our economy, society and also our beloved Mother Earth. Thank you for listening. Till next time. Bye-bye.